0: Tonight on Banfield, another hit for Liz Cheney. Mitt Romney says if she wants to challenge Donald Trump to be president, she'll never get close to the Republican ticket. So what route might she be planning when she says Abe Lincoln failed and failed before winning the White House? Or do all roads really go through Mar-a-Lago? Also ahead, Rodman? To the rescue, the flamboyant ex-NBA star and BFF to Kim Jong-un says he's tight with Vladimir Putin, too, and thinks he can win the release of fellow basketball star Brittany Greiner. But can this man do what the best minds in Washington could not? And later...
1: We did receive some information of the recovery of uh, the vehicle that we've been searching for and it was located inside uh, the Prosser Lake.
0: A two-week-old mystery of a missing California girl appears to be solved. But the case is still far from closed. How did Kylie Rodney wind up submerged in a lake just a few hundred yards from a massive teen party? And why aren't the other kids talking? And say what you will about this kind of hairstyle, mullets, but did you ever make $3,000 with your hair at the age of eight? Epic did. Yes, that's his name, Epic, and we're going to show you how he did it. It's all straight ahead on Banfield. Welcome, everyone. It is Monday night. Glad to have you here at Banfield. You're either all in with Trump or you are against him. That is what Republicans are hearing from the former president tonight. And that goes for potential candidates, Trump's friends, members of his own family, and Liz Cheney. The most high-profile Republican to now say that out loud is this man, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, who, like Liz Cheney, voted to impeach Donald Trump after January 6th. Romney told the Deseret News, I don't think someone who was seen outside the Trump circle would have any realistic chance of becoming the nominee in 2024, barring something I can't foresee at this stage. If Trump doesn't run again, I think it'll be people who either were supporters of his or people who didn't say much about him and then would be open to become the nominee. Last week, Cheney, who's been the most public face of the January 6th hearings, lost big in her primary to a Trump-backed candidate. But in her concession speech, she hinted about running for president and said, Abe Lincoln suffered the same kind of loss before the
2: ultimate win. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history.
0: The following day, Cheney told NBC's Today show that she was indeed thinking about a presidential run but was not ready to make any announcements on anything that morning. Mitt Romney told the Deseret News that he had doubts about how serious her plans really were, saying this, I don't know if she really wants to do that. She would not become the nominee if she were to run. I can't imagine that would occur. If that's true... What are Liz Cheney's options? Could she run as a centrist or an independent? And there is still that nagging question. Is there any world in which she might consider running as a Democrat? Listen, to be clear, Cheney is one of the most conservative members of Congress. Her Republican bona fides have always been impeccable. But lately, Democrats have been pretty impressed with her. They say she took a principled stance against Trump's behavior on January 6th, and they have loved her work on that committee. So could she, would she, soften her conservative stance and, quote, evolve, as they like to say in Washington, D.C.? You know, I would have said maybe 10, 15 years ago, not a chance, or maybe even fat chance. But today, my goodness, anything is possible. I mean, let's look back. Hillary Clinton, she changed her views on same-sex marriage. Do you remember that? And so did her husband, President Bill Clinton. Trump used to be pro-choice. Not anymore. And Liz Cheney and her father, the former Vice President Dick Cheney, changed their views on marriage equality. More than likely because they had someone in the family that might have helped them do that. There is also the chance that Donald Trump won't be a factor in future elections. There are multiple investigations in multiple states looking into his political, his professional, and his personal life. And on that front, by the way, Donald Trump made another move today in the battle of the boxes. He officially asked the court for something called a special master. That is a disinterested third party that goes about the business of sifting through any of the seized evidence to make sure that the, the important stuff, the privileged information, presidential or attorney-client, that that stuff isn't swept up and divulged to the government. Donald Trump also wants the whole process to come to a screeching halt, at least until that special master can be put in place. And he's also asking that everything that was taken from Mar-a-Lago is brought back to Mar-a-Lago at least that's allowed to be brought back to Mar-a-Lago. And then tonight, the DOJ has issued yet another subpoena. This one, however, is not about the boxes. And it was not sent to Donald Trump. It just gets curiouser and curiouser. This subpoena was sent to the National Archives. And this subpoena asks for more documents pertaining to January 6th, both before and after that date. And then there are those two other important things to watch out for this week, both happening on Thursday. Trump's attorney, Jenna Ellis, who represented him during and after the 2020 election, she is scheduled to testify before a grand jury in Atlanta. Do you remember all that business about whether Trump and his allies violated the law? Uh, in all of those efforts to flip the 2020 election results in Georgia, I need to find 7,000. Uh-huh. On that very same day in Florida, however, remember, I just talked about Georgia. Let's move to Florida. The Justice Department is expected to deliver a big move. Um, they are expected to hand over to the federal judge there the redacted version of that unbelievably sought-after affidavit. Uh, remember the affidavit that they submitted to get the warrant to search Mar-a-Lago in the first place? Yeah, that's the affidavit, still held in secret. The judge said you better go and take a black Sharpie to it uh, before you come back, and we'll see if that version is okay. It's the same judge, Judge Bruce Reinhardt, who signed off on the warrant, who's going to make the decision this Thursday. He has said that there are portions of that affidavit that can be released, to the public, remember, it's all extraordinary, the search and the transparency. So we should see which parts the DOJ feels comfortable sharing. I'm here to tell you, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> it's going to be filled with black marks everywhere. But there is one detail we know for sure, honestly, we can just know for sure, is going to remain hidden by the black Sharpie. And it is the name of the FBI informant that is reportedly in Trump's inner circle there has been endless speculation about whether it is a, an aide to Donald Trump or an employee of Mar-a-Lago, maybe. Uh, wow, heaven forbid, maybe even a Trump family member. Who was it who told the feds about the location of the top secret documents that Trump had at Mar-a-Lago? You know, the pool room off the hallway that leads to the pool in the semi-private club. Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, and uh, Trump's former estra- or his estranged niece, Mary Trump. Both of those two people have speculated that the informant is none other than this man, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. But that does not seem to have created any friction between Trump and Kushner. At least not yet, anyway. And we know that because yesterday, just yesterday, Kushner told Fox News, and I will quote him directly, Pardon the syntax, it's a little kind of all over the place. It says, Ivanka and I were playing golf with him a couple of days ago, and I was joking with him about how in the way that he drives his enemies so crazy, they always over-pursue him and make mistakes in trying to get him. Kushner is currently promoting his new book about the time, that he spent in the White House with Donald Trump. And according to early reviews, it is not at all critical of Donald Trump. Make no mistake, not critical in any way. We also now know the exact wording of that message that Donald Trump sent to the Attorney General. Everybody was freaking out about it. How on earth are you contacting the Attorney General? This is an investigation. Not supposed to do that. So in a phone call three days after the Mar-a-Lago search... Donald Trump's lawyer told the Justice Department, and I will quote here, President Trump wants the Attorney General to know that he's been hearing from people all over the country about the raid. If there was one word to describe their mood, it's angry. The heat is building up. The pressure is building up. Whatever I can do to take the heat down, to bring the pressure down, just let me know. Wow. That's quite a message. <laughs> Not quite sure what to think of that. But whatever you think, whether that was an olive branch or whether that was Donald Trump trying to unduly influence the feds, I can pretty much bet everything I've got that that depends on which side of the aisle you're on in this whole story. I'm joined by Harry Litman. He is a former U.S. attorney and a former deputy assistant attorney general. He's also the host of the podcast Talking Feds. And Ali Vitali is a Capitol Hill correspondent. She is the author of the brand-new book, Electable, Why America Hasn't Put a Woman in the White House Yet. And it hits stores tomorrow. Welcome to both of you. Okay, um, legally, Thanks. Harry, because of, you know, me and the legal business that I always do, I want to ask you about this this A.G. memo. Um, I really, honestly, see this as so many other Trump moves before. You can look at it two completely different ways, but for other people, it usually sinks them. What do you see it as?
3: Do you mean the memo that Trump filed tonight? The the memo from Trump. The
0: memo. No, this conversation. This this uh, this outreach to Merrick Garland saying people uh, are angry. My friend, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a Seinfeld episode. He said but, a lawyer you know saying, someone. Right? Yeah. He sounds
3: said a honest. lawyer. Called someone in DOJ and he called it a raid and whatever I can do, I, I, I'm sure if it happened and that's a big if in the terms he says it, it had no impact at all. It just seemed like uh, more of the kind of, um, you know, theatrics that have been his stock in trade since the search happened.
0: Well, it's uh, it's that strange business about sounding ominous, like people are getting angry and the pressure and the heat is cooking, Mr. Mm-hmm. AG, i.e. that's your fault. And then what is it uh, you need from me to, to bring the out. heat down? It sounds like a magnanimous yeah. overture, but other people mm-hmm. say that it sounds like, uh, you know, let's do some wheel and dealing on this.
3: Well, right. Certainly he's not acting to try to bring the heat down. He filed a motion today that was all polemics and just went after the DOJ for all kinds of reasons that had no basis in the law. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't think the DOJ regards him as a partner now. You don't normally do that after you serve a search warrant on someone and make them the subject of a criminal investigation.
0: Well, and it's uh, you know it's it's pretty fascinating how the different networks uh, come at this, right? He's either um, a hero trying to save the nation, or he's the criminal trying to unduly influence an investigation. It's it's remarkable how Americans have decided um, you know to interpret his moves. Yeah. Ali, congratulations on this. But can I make a quick point far. on it? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, quick. Go ahead. My Harry. quick
3: point is. It's just this. Whatever side you're on, there's the law. That's what both sides should want. The four, And he's got remedies under the Fourth Amendment. If anyone violated his rights, if anyone violates the privilege, that's what we ought to have, ha, you know, that ought to be everybody's solace here, and including his, including his partisans. Right. The law and, will and run I its course. And I say in this
0: particular move, um, the critics will say, well, this was just a big old, you know, um, partisan raid but my god that would have to be a hell of a conspiracy to get all those partners in place uh to do it i'm not saying it's not possible anything's possible oj could be innocent but ali let me go back yeah. to you for a second the uh congratulations on this book um it, it's perfect so to talk to you tonight about this because there is all this talk about liz cheney and her overtures and hints uh in her concession speech about Abe lincoln failing twice and then not and then there's this notion that she would never make it on a Republican ticket. So what are the options? Is it ever possible in the craziest of Washington, which we've all lived through, to see her uh, evolve and maybe ally with Democrats or maybe even be a running mate?
2: Look, I, this is a moment where someone who's a network news correspondent wishes that she could have continued writing this book in real time, because the moment that Liz Cheney said that she was going to do everything that she could to make sure that Donald Trump didn't get back into the Oval Office, I immediately had my ears perk up and think, what would it look like to have a Republican woman not just running against Donald Trump, who, for all intents and purposes, is still the standard bearer of this party, but doing so in the way that she has done through her role on the January 6th committee, leading the accountability movement against the former president. And I think when you think about Liz Cheney, she's someone who has a voting record that's more than 90% of the time with Trump. She is, just as you laid out, Ashley, someone who is a steadfast conservative, but conservative in the way that people used to mean that word, but not the way that they mean it today, which is to say conservative now means pro-Trump. It does not mean small government, limited government policies in the way that it used to when the Cheney dynasty was sort of ruling Washington. I do think, though, that if I think about it through the lens of my book, it's that voters don't punish women for losing elections. And the way that Cheney has rolled out in the immediate hours and days after losing in Wyoming is exactly what studies say women candidates should be doing as they look to their next move, which is not blaming anyone for their loss, necessarily staying on message and making sure that voters know what they stand for. And for Liz Cheney, she certainly is blaming Trump, but that's a part of her core message too. She is someone who wants to stay hyper-focused on him, hyper-focused on the election lies and use that to leverage herself, yes, into the next version of the January 6th hearings that are coming in the next few weeks, but also into whatever comes next.
0: I wish you were writing this in real time because I look at this and I think <laughs> I've always heard the first, you know, woman president's going to be uh, a conservative and look at her. That I could mean, be. Uh, and then this this notion that she's somehow the Democrats hero. It's just like, you know, it's Alice in Wonderland all over again. Um, Ali, congrats on the book. I'm so proud of you. And I so you much. know look forward to talking to you again at some point. And Harry Littman, as always, I love your wisdom. Thanks, guys. Thank thanks. You. Thanks, Ali. So, still to come, uh, who needs the State Department when you've got Dennis Rodman? The former pro-basketballer and dabbler in global diplomacy says that he can go one-on-one with Vladimir Putin and bring back Brittany Griner. So why is the federal government saying thanks, but no thanks? We'll get some insights from a man whose ordeal in a foreign prison you may have witnessed on the big screen. Billy Hayes, held for years in a Turkish prison, leading to a book and a movie called Midnight Express. He's next with his insights about being locked up abroad. Plus, the divers who came upon the frightening scene of a young girl upside down in her car submerged 14 feet under the black waters of Prosser Lake. How did the raging party just yards away fail to notice anything? We're back in a moment. Welcome back. It has been 18 days since a court in Russia convicted Brittany Griner of drug possession and then sentenced the American basketball star to nine years in a Russian penal colony. That is a terrifying prospect, but given Griner's status as a foreign athlete and the worldwide attention on her case, she's almost certainly in line for a prisoner swap, perhaps for a Russian arms trader known as the Merchant of Death, who is being held here in the United States. You've heard about that for weeks now, but it hasn't happened yet. And celebrity basketball star Dennis Rodman is tired of waiting. Yes, that Dennis Rodman, the larger-than-life NBA Hall of Famer. He famously paled around with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un a decade ago, and he may have helped win the release of at least one American from a North Korean labor camp. Rodman now says he's gotten, quote, permission to visit Russia. It is not clear from whom he got that permission, and he says he hopes to fly over as soon as this week. He says he knows Vladimir Putin, quote, too well, and he says he can persuade the Russian leader to send Greiner home, even while U.S. officials presumably are working on the very same thing, just a lot more quietly and presumably with a few more diplomatic strings. I am pleased to welcome back to the program Billy Hayes whose five-year nightmare inside a Turkish prison gave rise to the classic novel and movie Midnight Express. He's also the writer and star of the one-man show Riding the Midnight Express with Billy Hayes, and his latest book is Midnight Express Epilogue, Train Keeps Rolling. Billy, thank you so much for coming back. What's your reaction to this notion that Dennis Rodman thinks he can get Putin to release Brittany Greiner?
1: Well, I, I hope uh, he's successful. I rather doubt it. I don't think, if we assume that Dennis is doing this for all the best reasons, he wants to help a fellow American and uh, a fellow basketball star, that's good. But I don't think he's going to achieve that at the moment. He brings so much energy into a situation and the media so focuses on him that it's distracting from the real problem, which is getting Brittany out. And I think that has to be done diplomatically and quietly behind the scenes. And I don't think Dennis is going to help this. I hope I'm wrong. I so hope I, he walks her home.
0: I'm- Right. Me, too. I keep thinking how crazy it is. But then he was able to help, you know, get Kenneth Bay and another prisoner released. At the same time, I think back to 1975, just before you escaped. And I wonder, you know, if you had heard that Kareem abdul Jabar was coming to Turkey to negotiate your release, would you have thought that, a, you know, a workable prospect that there was optimism there?
1: I actually would have loved it because Kareem is one of my dad's favorite basketball players. My dad went to um, the same high school that Kareem graduated from, where he was you know, a star even then. I would love to have him showing up. I don't think it would have helped. Again, having all of this notoriety and famous stars coming to help it brings too much attention on the situation and adds a lot of X factors. I don't think you're going to be able to handle Vladimir Putin the way he did Kim Jong-un. And I think it's just going to add to Brittany's problems and the logistics of Trina trying to bring her home. We had Bill Richardson, one of the most talented negotiators in the world working to bring her home quietly behind the scenes. This is about a face about Russia not losing face, about Vladimir Putin not losing face. So if Dennis can help, that would be good. I don't think he should go. In fact, I think he should reconsider.
0: So I think about your, um, again, you know, escaping in 1975 while the machinations were ongoing behind the scenes. You know, that the Turks had, I think, sentenced you to to four years, and then they switched it to life, and then they switched it to 30. And if you hadn't escaped, Billy, do you think that you would maybe even still be there?
1: Well, I don't think I'd be alive, actually, because eventually I was there for five years, and I was at the end of my road one way or the other. After a while in prison, you get hardened in a way that you can't change or you get broken in a way that you can't recover from. And I was at that point. I got very desperate. The American government was doing was doing for me very much what uh, the American government is trying to do right now for Brittany, which was negotiate a true prisoner exchange treaty to bring Americans and foreign countries home. They've gotten that done, but they were working on it for years while I was there. And eventually I realized I, I can't do this anymore. One way or the other, I need to get out. I need to be free or dead, but I can't spend more time in prison. I don't think that's the situation now with Brittany. It hasn't come to that. But I hope for her sake that she never gets there where that, that choice faces her.
0: Yeah, God forbid. It's been six months, not five years, but it's been six months of utter hell. Um, you know, if the other prisoners who've come home, Trevor Reed, etc., uh, their descriptions have been pretty dire about the circumstances. I think Trevor Reed even said that he his himself was put into a sort of a sanatorium as well. And he said it was it was brutal on him. It made me think of you. But do you think this is an embarrassment to the United States government, Um do you think it's a nuisance, or do you think there there could be some there there?
1: I hope there's something good here. I I don't know about embarrassment. I, I think governments are pretty much beyond that. Saving face means bringing her home and not having Russia looking bad in the process. That's a very tricky situation to balance out. One way to hope, hope because the world is watching um the russians are going to allow her to come home and that's maybe part of this prisoner swap that i don't really you know you've got a merchant of death being sent home for a, an olympic basketball star it doesn't seem like a fair trade but maybe to settle this down the u.s government is willing to do a lot of things to bring her and hopefully the other americans who are in prison for similar charges and they should thank you be for mentioning
0: down. that billy Thank you for mentioning that, because we do have Maureen um, Paul Whelan, who's been there for four years. And then there's the teacher, Sarah Cravenick, and she's been there for one year, uh, as of this November, I believe. Um, and again, those two have been there longer than Brittany Griner, without all the attention. Whelan's had some, Sarah, very little. If, uh, if Brittany comes home and there is prisoner swap, just one-to-one, and those two are left behind, what are we to make of that?
1: Well, I guess we make that it's who you know. And she knows important people. And the fact that she has such a high profile as a basketball star probably makes her more valuable for the United States to bring her home to defuse the situation, which is the one reason why I think the opposite may be happening. As more people come in, as Dennis Rodman and other people come in and get their names into all of this and into the mix, I think it gives... The Russians and other people who are playing uh, the the balance back and forth here it gives them more ammunition to use as opposed to just having a quiet negotiation with Bill Richardson bringing her home.
0: Yeah, and he may very well be uh, deep in the, the throes of, of doing that. Billy Hayes, it's always good to talk to you, and I'm glad you're home. Thank you for being here tonight.
1: I'm glad I'm home. I wish we weren't talking tonight. I wish she had come home sooner. Um, thank you very much for keeping the attention on her. That will help.
0: Amen. And we'll see you again, I hope, soon. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, a Northern California campground party central for a couple hundred hard-drinking high school students, one of whom drove off into the August night and vanished. After two agonizing weeks, part of that mystery appears now to be solved. The hard part, though, is anything but. The dark and frightening place where they found her and why it makes so little sense. That's next. It was a farewell party for high school seniors in the mountain town of Truckee, California, just north of Lake Tahoe. It's near the Nevada border. Um, anywhere from 200 to 300 teenagers and young adults were streaming in and out of this campground. It was a campground just adjacent to Lake Prosser. The party was held the night of August 5th, and despite all of the drinking and the raucous behavior, all but one of the kids managed to get back home safely. The one that didn't was 16-year-old Kylie Rodney. Kylie drove away from the party just after midnight. That's what another kid at the party said uh, about her departure, and they also said that she'd been drinking they said that she was likely drunk. For the next two weeks, police searched thousands of acres in two states while also canvassing known sex offenders on the chance that Kylie might have been kidnapped. The FBI even got involved, chasing down almost 2,000 tips. And volunteers joined in as well by the hundreds and hundreds just take a look at this app that details all of the areas that were covered by the searchers. Kind of have to squint there, but those are all names, folks. All of that. You can't even see the geography because of all the volunteers' names who were on the search. None of those efforts panned out, though. None of those tips panned out. Until yesterday, when a private dive team found Kylie's SUV overturned and 14 feet under the water. It was no more than 40 feet from the dry land and maybe just about 100 yards from the campground and that roaring party that she had left. There was a body inside the car and today police said, quote, it's more than likely Kylie. So if true, that would solve the most urgent mystery here, but not the whole thing, not the whole mystery. Police still have not identified a single person of the hundreds and hundreds who were at that party, who were there, who saw Kylie leave. They haven't been able to identify these kids. They've managed to interview some of the teens, but most of those kids have gone radio silent. Why? Why would they do that with their friend missing and now presumed drowned? And why did it take two weeks to find Kylie's car in a body of water so close to where she was last seen? A body of water that police divers had already searched and then written off. After a break, we're going to talk forensics with the YouTube divers who made that ghastly discovery, who broke open this case and who launched, yeah, you're right, a whole new investigation. Stay with us. You're about to see Kylie Rodney's SUV being pulled from a California lake near the high school graduation party that she vanished from just two weeks earlier. The body found inside the car is believed to be that of 16-year-old Kylie. But the case, make no mistake, it is far from being closed. There are still so many unanswered questions like why was this girl and this car found upside down in 14 feet of water, just 100 yards or so from a raging party. How is it possible that no one found her before now? And maybe most troubling, why did almost every one of the hundreds and hundreds of party goers go silent, unwilling to help find her? I'm joined now by Doug Bishop and Nick Wren, two of the divers who found that vehicle and that body, they are from Adventures with Purpose, a search and recovery dive team dedicated to helping families of, of missing people. Nick and Doug, thanks so much for, for being here. I can't imagine the, the discovery that you made this weekend. But can you describe for me um, what it was like when you actually did come upon that vehicle in your view underwater?
4: Uh, sure. So uh, after we put our boats in the water, we had two separate boats to cover more waterway quickly um Doug went one direction I went the other uh we were just doing our normal search patterns following the entire lake shoreline since this particular lake has a lot of areas that a vehicle can drive right to the water's edge so after about approximately 35 minutes on the water I uh spotted something on my sonar that um obviously looked out of place it was uh, causing a big shadow and so I Turned around and re scanned it from several different angles. And it looked very peculiar to me. So at that point, I called Doug, told him, hey, you better get over here and let's put another set of eyes on this, see what we see and see if you can figure out what it is. So Doug came over and he as well scanned it multiple directions for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. After that, we both agreed that it did look like a vehicle on sonar. So we um, pulled a magnet out and a buoy. Dropped it in, and sure enough, it stuck to it, just like a, a vehicle does it, that it was made with metal. And at that moment, we basically both realized that, yeah, this is for sure a, a vehicle. So there was a lot of anticipation, you know, and uh, it was uh, an emotional time for us to know that the odds are, based on the location where we were at and the scenario we were dealing with, that this was going to be the vehicle that we were looking for.
0: Doug, did you, um, did you see Kylie in the vehicle when you did do the dive down and, uh, confirm that it was the vehicle?
5: Um, I did not know, but, uh, when Nick dove down, um, you know, our, our priority whenever we do dive is to make identification on the vehicle we discover and then do a thorough assessment of that vehicle. And, you know, upon Nick doing so, he was able to determine that there were remains within the vehicle. I um, mean, you know, at that moment we did, uh, notify family and law enforcement right away.
0: Was there just um, one set of remains or or more than one person in the vehicle?
5: As far as we know, just one. Um, I can't confirm that. Uh, it's, it's still an ongoing FBI investigation.
0: So, Nick, um, the, vi- the, the, the view that we're seeing right now is obviously from the sky. We can see the blue tarp that's put over the vehicle as it was being pulled winched, I would assume, out of the um, water. And this is standard for um, you know, the privacy of what you see in the vehicle because cameras are rolling. But I did note that the blue tarp is at the back of the vehicle. Is that where the remains were found, not in the driver's seat, but at the back of the SUV?
4: Um, unfortunately, again, this is an ongoing FBI investigation. So specific details of what was inside the vehicle and where I cannot discuss
0: I can only imagine, though, seeing it up on land, though, with the with the tarp in the back, that would be what they're trying to protect. Um, they're not protecting us from the view of the driver's seat or the passenger seat. Usually, that's to protect us from seeing the dead, you know, body inside. So, um, did it look as though there was any attempt to get out? Uh, either one of you can answer that question.
5: Uh, we we wouldn't uh, be able to make that kind of determination. Um, unfortunately, you know, we we were told to leave the scene. Um, once the scene was assessed and the FBI took over, um, so, you know, as far as those minor details, uh, we wouldn't have them.
0: Uh, Doug Bishop and Nick Wren, you guys are amazing, um, Adventures with Purpose. I, I can't thank you enough for being on tonight. And then obviously for doing what you did in this investigation to help Kylie's family bring some closure to this story. Um, thank you guys. Thank you so much.
5: Yeah, thank, thank, thank you, thank you for having us on, and you're, you're hitting on something with someone who knows something there at the party, someone knows something.
0: I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you on that. It's been bothering me since day one. And we'll have you guys back, you know, for sure in the future. Right now, I want to turn to Callahan Walsh, who alongside his father, John Walsh, is co-host of In Pursuit with John Walsh. Callahan, you just heard that interview um, and you saw those pictures, right? How it looks as though the back of the vehicle is covered in the tarp, which likely, if I were a betting man, means that the remains are in the back of the vehicle. What speaks to you about the way the vehicle was found 35 minutes or so adventures with purpose founded after the police didn't and the notion that it was just a hundred yards or so away from the raging party and no one said anything
6: well my hats off to adventures with purpose those guys have been doing some great work for a while now uh, really helping out families and it just goes to show how difficult it can be to recover uh, vehicles and, and bodies in in water um, you know, without that sort of technology, without that experience, it's very difficult to get in there and really see what's happening. And we saw it in, in you know, in, in Thailand with the boys who were trapped in the cave as well. Diving underwater, whether it's open water or in a cave situation, is very dangerous. And so it really takes that expertise. And I, I'm so glad these guys were able to get out there and really get some closure in this case and, and really get to the bottom of it. This vehicle was located less than a quarter mile away from the camp site, just a couple hundred feet. It's amazing that nobody was able to see that vehicle through the water, but it just, again, goes to show how difficult it can be to recover bodies and vehicles in
0: water like that. Oh, I grew up on a lake and I will tell you 10 feet down, it can be pitch black depending on the kind of lake you're you're at. So I get it, but it was amazing to me that 35 minutes in, Bam, these guys found it. They also note that there's a lot of red tape with law enforcement and safety currents and all the other things that preclude them from being able to do certain things. These guys, they're a private group. They can do whatever they want. They can go wherever they want. The thing I wanted to ask you about, though, with the kids and the way they're not talking, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the fact that many of them were terrified that they'd lose their college placements if they were determined to have been at an underage drinking party. And that just breaks my heart. Isn't there something that the police can do to forward an investigation without jeopardizing um, what their witnesses can tell them?
1: You know, it's,
6: it's unfortunate, isn't it? You know, we, we scare our kids all the time and saying, don't do this, don't do that. It could, you won't get into a good college if, if they find this out. And so they're really taking that to heart. You know, these children aren't coming forward in a dire situation where they should be because they're in fear of their own future and fear of what we've instilled in them. And that's partly our fault. And so I understand why these kids aren't coming forward. It's unfortunate, but I understand why they're not doing it. Now, I wish they were coming forward because as, as the Adventures of Purpose said in, in, in the last interview, somebody knows something. It's odd that this car was was located just so closely off the campgrounds. How did nobody see anything? Uh, maybe there's more answers out there, and we just hope somebody comes forward.
0: So, you know, I'm a big fan of you and um, of your dad. Worked with your dad for a gazillion, bazillion years. And um, you've got, I think on Wednesday, uh, the big show's premiering in Pursuit with John Walsh. I've got a minute. Uh, what do you got coming up on Wednesday?
6: Well, first of all, uh, he always wants me to tell you hi, so this is me telling telling you oh. hi for my father. But Thanks. um, yeah, but yes, uh, season four of In Pursuit on Investigation Discovery is right around the corner. We premiere just in a couple days on uh, on Wednesday. We're at nine o'clock. We're, we've got all new fugitives, all new cases, and you know what. Thirty six of the fu- thirty seven of the fugitives that we've shown on just 36 episodes have been brought to justice. So it works. We're still out there capturing the worst of the worst, getting these bad guys. And it's thanks to you that we get the the information out there. People tune in and provide us those tips that get these captures.
0: You're such a good guy. Thank you for doing that. And by the way, thank you for doing this tonight as well. I look forward to the next time we can talk and say hi to your dad for me.
6: Absolutely. Will do.
0: Callahan Walsh joining us live season four of In Pursuit with John Walsh premieres Wednesday. As Callahan said, it's 9, 8 central on Investigation Discovery. Coming up, a story of sportsmanship so grown up that even the adults are left wide eyed. The 2022 USA mullet champ in the kids division has now been crowned. But it is this guy, the second place finisher. And it's his surprise that has the world calling him the people's champ see the epic reward for being number two it's next